Hello everyone, welcome to our afternoon broadcast for Saturday, March 26th. So we'll start today with guided meditation. In mindfulness meditation, the technique is reminding yourself. Mindfulness is translation of the word sati. Sati means memory or remembrance or recollection. So we're reminding ourselves, evoking remembrance, not of the past or the future, but of the present of our actual experiences to keep our minds from getting lost when we forget about, when we lose track of the actual experiences and get caught up in judgment and reaction. So we start by focusing on the body. You close your eyes, put your hands on your lap. And just watch the body. We direct people to focus on the stomach. When you breathe in, there'll be a rising. When you breathe out, there'll be a falling. So we just say to ourselves, rising, falling. Just repeat the word to yourself in your mind. Try and say the word as the experience happens. Rising from beginning to end and then falling. By reminding yourself in this way, your mind stays with the experience and stays objective about the experience, focused only on the bare fact of the rising instead of judging it or reacting to it or making more out of it than it actually is. And this in turn allows you to see clearly, see how your mind works, see how the body works, to see things just as experiences rather than problems or something to be pushed away or something to be pulled, clung to. Just say rising, falling, and as you're doing that, you'll find you're distracted by all sorts of other experiences, and that's fine. We're not trying to control the experience. We're just trying to keep ourselves conscious of the 
fact of them being experiences. So whatever you experience, take as your object and remind yourself the nature of it. For example, when you feel pain or pleasure or calm, you say to yourself, pain, pain. And just keep saying pain, pain until it goes away, slowly, patiently. Not trying to make it go away. If you feel happy, say happy, happy. If you feel calm, say calm, calm. Just keep yourself objective. And when the feeling's gone, just go back to the rising, falling. Maybe you have thoughts about the past or future, good thoughts, bad thoughts, any kind of thought. We're not trying to stop ourselves from thinking. Just take the thought as the object. Remind yourself thinking, thinking, so that you're clearly aware this that was just a thought. You don't get caught up in it or... Make more of it than it is. Just take it for what it is. Thinking, thinking. If you have emotions or you notice your state of mind this way or that, you can note it as well. Like, if you like something, say liking. If you dislike something, say disliking. Frustrated, bored, sad, depressed, afraid. If you feel, feel tired or if you feel restless, note tired, tired, or restless, restless, anxious, worried. Doubt, if you have doubt or confusion, say doubting or confused. Many of these mind states are hindrances. They get in the way of our clarity. They pollute the mind. So just try and be vigilant in reminding yourselves of their nature. Keep you objective. so you don't get caught up with them. And finally, if you notice any experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, you can note these as well. If you see something even with your eyes closed, say seeing, seeing. You hear a sound, hearing, hearing. If you smell a good smell or bad smell, say smelling, smelling. When you taste something, tasting. When you feel something on the body, feeling. And when you're thinking, thinking. 
to all in all, everything you experience, you can take as an object of mindfulness. Just try and find a word that reminds you of the actual experience, a name for the experience, and repeat it to yourself while the experience is there. Once it's gone, just go back to the rising, falling.
All right. So that's uh, our introduction to meditation. Move now to answering questions. If you have questions, you can post them in the chat. From here on, only questions will be accepted in the chat box. In the chat, uh, chat box. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. I'm struggling to find peace and accept issues in my surroundings. There have been children breaking my property, and I confronted them but lied and said I was visiting. Was I wrong to lie? Lying is always wrong. It... It's dishonesty. It's a distortion of reality which goes contrary to what we're trying to accomplish in mindfulness, which is the clear understanding of reality for what it is. It's um, robbing people of reality, taking it away from them. And it's uh, a... Uh, you are, it's a betrayal, you're denying them the truth. But there, of course, there are big lies and there are small lies, and it's not always going to have the same effect on you, but the intention to lie itself is unwholesome. And acting on that intention is a bad karma corrupts the mind. I want to practice noting all the time, but can I do this with a good conscience when there is so much suffering in the world? Well, the, the reasons why there is so much suffering in the world um, at the root stems a lot from people's lack of lack of mindfulness. So cultivating mindfulness is going to go a long way to changing that for you, for the people around you. you know, practicing mindfulness is going to change your relationships with others. It's going to encourage other people to practice mindfulness and you look at the effect the Buddha had on the world. And imagine what the world would have been without him. Is it necessary to mentally repeat, even if we are observing and not reacting or judging in that moment? So, I mean, you can say that you're not reacting or judging in that moment. Um, and so, first of all, it's, it's how, are you going to, how are you going to tell whether you are not reacting or judging in that moment? 
How are you going to tell without the clarity of mind? Um, if your mind is truly clear, then if from moment to moment, then there's no need to practice at all. It's that, that's only the case when someone is already enlightened. Um, but if you still have the potential for the arising of judgment and reaction and so on, then there's still a need for the uh, cultivation of, of wholesomeness of, of mental faculties. So, so it's not a question of whether I have to be, whether this moment means I have to be mindful. It's about cultivating a skill, cultivating a quality of mind. And that's something you can do in relation to wholesome qualities. You can do it in relation to unwholesome. You can do it in relation to neither wholesome nor unwholesome. We're not doing it to um, specifically prevent certain states. We're doing it to cultivate a skill. It's not about the quality of the mind. It's about the clarity of understanding of, of reality. And you can't have that clarity without the mental faculties that come from cultivating mindfulness. Sometimes I find it hard to find the correct word to label an experience. What should I note? I mean, you can note experiencing. I mean, you, you, you have to cultivate that skill. It's a technical skill. I mean, it's not like it's hard. If you're feeling something, it's a feeling. If you're thinking something, it's a thought. It may be that you're overthinking a bit and then there's likely some kind of worry or doubt or confusion and you should note those. I find it useless to note whatever arises at any given moment, never seeing anything through. It just results in flitting around, fickle-mindedness, Never seeing experiences clearly. Please advise. Hmm. Well, it more likely results in you seeing your flitting, fickle mind. Um, because there's nothing intrinsic about noting that does that. Uh, the part about not seeing anything through is is sometimes true because it cuts off any greed or or desire for things, and so you 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 find it perhaps pointless because you're no longer chasing after your desires or your ambitions or so on. Um, but you know, most likely, any judgment you have of it is just a habit of judgment, so you should note those habits of judgment as well. Note the, the experiences of judgment. When you don't like the result that you see, you know, note that. I mean, mindfulness is such a simple thing to attribute all of your bad habits to it is 
uh, kind of disingenuous because it doesn't really do uh, it doesn't condition your mind at all except to allow you to see the conditioning in the mind and so the result should be a, a well an observation of the habits of the mind and an eventual ironing out of those habits to a more peaceful stable focused really state of mind content state of mind that perhaps doesn't see through all the ambitions and projects that you had previously but is much more at peace and less clingy less dependent on things being this way or that way more flexible more able to accept and live with change and loss and gain and all the vicissitudes of life. Can we react wholesomely to certain objects during meditation? For example, when we feel unsafe, create the thought, I'm safe? Hmm. You can, but it doesn't teach you about the uh, causes of the feeling of being unsafe. It doesn't deal with that problem because you, you've, you're not preventing it. It's too late for that. It's already happened, right? So there gave there arose a feeling of being unsafe. Or let's put it a little a little clearer, something a little simpler. Um, let's a simple disliking something. So suppose you dislike something and say, no, no, I really like this, or I'm really okay with this or something. Well, it's too late. You've already disliked it. So it's about figuring out or, or trying to understand the process by which you came to dislike it. And that has nothing to, that is, is in no way affected by uh, the opposition, the creation, creating opposites, opposite states. Like, I'm not, I'm not scared when you're scared, for example trying to reassure yourself is not a solution that doesn't prevent you from getting uh, afraid it's uh, what does is seeing that the things that scare you are are not uh, scary not just convincing yourself that they're not but actually seeing that they're not and that getting scared is is a useless and unbeneficial reaction to anything unwarranted but it's an you know it's it's a valid technique to oppose something to um, break the chain by opposite by opposing it it's just not nearly as effective as seeing clearly the nature of the thing that you're reacting to When trying to remain present in daily life, there are so many objects I could choose to pay attention to. What should I choose? Or is it more of a relaxed presence with whatever is arising? We're not concerned about being relaxed. You shouldn't be tense or create stress about it or need for it. But if you do, you should note that. You shouldn't force yourself to be relaxed. That's kind of goes against the whole point of it. Um... But what you should pay attention to, whatever's most prominent, 
uh, you can try and focus on the most obvious things like this the postures of the body walking standing sitting lying and note those you can note the senses seeing hearing smelling tasting feeling thinking but there's no limit to what you can note and there's nothing wrong with noting something anything whatever arises so it's not really a something to be concerned about if you don't feel relaxed, that sometimes leads to this sort of question. You should just note the the stress and the tension. Being totally aware of my state of mind is mindfulness and or enlightenment. I know that my mind is now sad, happy, angry, jealous, or compassionate, etc., is this understanding correct? So mindfulness is not equivalent to enlightenment. Mindfulness is a practice or a state of mind that that evokes other states of mind that uh, lead to enlightenment. But just because you're mindful doesn't mean you're enlightened. Um, enlightenment is... Uh, seeing clearly of the Four Noble Truths, so seeing suffering, it's uh, the abandoning of the causes of suffering because you no longer cling to those things that are suffering, that are unsatisfying. It's the cessation of suffering. It's the path leading to the cessation of suffering. Uh, basically, being enlightened is being free from any kind of clinging, any kind of attachment. So if you still are angry, jealous, etc., you're still not enlightened. Um, and it's not so much about being totally aware, it's about having clear awareness. Because there are ways of being totally aware that are still caught up in, in conceit and identification and judgment. So the practice, is, the, the practice is about mindfulness, and the result of being mindful is seeing clearly. Just seeing things as they are. Uh, free from any kind of identification like this is me, this is mine, this I am, etc. Or judgment, reaction, liking, disliking. Some people are torturing me in the most evil and pernicious of ways. What should I do? Well, I can't uh, give advice on worldly things, like on, on actual things you should do. I can advise you about how to be mindful. That certainly helps you deal with suffering and stress. So if you're interested, you could read our booklet on how to be mindful. It's not going to stop people from torturing you necessarily, but what, you sh what should I do? If you ask on this forum, mostly our answer is just going to be, Apart from everything else you're doing, you should uh, you should practice mindfulness. So we have a booklet, and you're welcome to do our at-home course if it's interesting. And that should help you deal with whatever it is you have to deal with and make the right decisions to better your situation. How to meditate and be mindful in sleep. 
When you lie down, just be mindful of lying and watch the stomach rising and falling until you fall asleep. There's nothing special about it. Is it better to investigate suspicions that have been eating away at your thoughts or wait for things to present themselves to you naturally? We don't investigate things. We note the things that do arise. When, when you use the word investigating, what you're doing is you're uh, triggering um, chains of experience. So it's not investigating. Thing, experiences aren't like uh, locked boxes that you can pick or open or, or uh, investigate. They are experience. They are things that arise and cease. So they don't have any meaning greater than the what, what they present themselves as. And we're just trying, in mindfulness, to remind ourselves of that. Remind ourselves, hey, this is just a, an experience. What I experience it as is all that it is. You remind yourself of that, and it keeps you from giving meaning to things. So it keeps you from investigating. So, I mean, suspicion is is just a mind state. You should note the it's the suspicion that we're interested in, not the thing that you're suspicious about. We're not interested in the thing that you're suspicious about. We're interested in the the experience now, which is the suspicion. The internet today is made to be addictive as much as possible to keep a person's mind occupied all of the time. How to break free from this cycle and the fear of missing out, which comes from trying to avoid it. Well, the only solution I have to offer is mindfulness. I mean, it really can help with some of those bad habits. So if you're interested, if you haven't read our booklet, Read the booklet. If you're interested, we have an at-home course you can take up. It's just a matter of putting into practice the simple principles and techniques. Another, another useful aspect is to um, do an intensive meditation course as it takes you away from such things as the internet. gives you a as the skills, a skill set to live without such things and to be at peace without them. It's a, it's a challenging thing doing an intensive course because of this, uh, because of this uh, reality of being addicted addicted to so many different sources of pleasure. And so, when you do an uh, intensive course, it can be quite stressful when you're not able to indulge in the things that you'd want to but that it's like a detox it's teaching you skills to live without the things you're addicted to noting a feeling like fear i usually imagine the thing that brought it up and i feel the feeling come to an end to the end until it dissolves is this the right way of practice? No.
No, don't um, worry about the thing that brought it up. Just focus on the fear. We're only interested in what's what we're experiencing. We're not trying to evoke anything. I mean, except mindfulness. So just be mindful of what it is that you do experience. If you find yourself imagining the thing that brought it up without intending to, then you note that as well, of course. But don't intend. The practice isn't about intentionally bringing up something that isn't there besides mindfulness how many hours of sleep do advanced meditators need does deep meditation regenerate the body like sleep well it's not just about being an advanced meditator though that certainly helps it's also about um, practicing meditation. So during a meditation course, you'll need less sleep than when you've left the course and gone back to your daily life um, because the body needs more or less sleep depending on, on the activities. But certainly, yes, meditation uh, helps you organize your mind, focus your mind, and tranquilize your mind so you're much less stressed throughout the day and as a result you need a lot less sleep the refinement of mind is very powerful you find you maybe only need four or five hours a night even less when you're doing intensive practice some people even go without sleep for a period of time How to deal with chronic suicidal thoughts with mindfulness. I find it really hard to stand back and just observe them with kindness. Well, kindness isn't a very powerful tool. Mindfulness is more powerful. Um, I mean, being kind is, I mean, you're talking, I guess, about being kind to yourself, and yeah, that sort of thing is possible. It's much more possible for someone who is mindful much easier to be kind to yourself it's much easier to be kindful to other to be kind to others if you're mindful so try and separate those two mindfulness isn't about dealing with something with kindness it's about seeing something as it is and, and accepting and admitting it not trying to avoid it or pretend it's not there so um, chronic suicidal thoughts um, are still just moments of thought along with uh, a judgment, a reaction, a, a quality of mind of anger, frustration, sadness, depression, all of those. But they're still just moments. And so um, one, one advice is to kind of deal with them like that and, and, and look at the, the part of you that perceives them as chronic, because that's not real. That's the pattern forming in the mind, where the, the mind recognizes the pattern. And that's just a, a, a state of mind. It's, it's just a, a construct in the mind. You, you conceive of them as being a pattern. You conceive of them as being chronic by relating the present to the past, by feeling bad about the future, that, that the anticipation of it continuing, or the feeling of hopelessness that it's never going to stop, and so on. So try not to perceive them as chronic. Try and focus only on the moment that is now, because moments are not hard to deal with. They only become hard when you 
feel the hopelessness of of a long-term problem but problem things are not reality isn't long-term reality is moment by moment so if you change that your perspective and look at things on a momentary basis you'll, you'll never have any problems in your life When you have a negative thought, and you are aware of it, but the mind keeps generating more negative thoughts, how can you break the cycle? Well, that's one of the things mindfulness does. The way of describing what it does is breaking the cycle. Because the cycles are habitual, how do you respond to a certain experience? If you keep responding in the same way, it creates a habit which is cyclical and feeds itself. So mindfulness being a different kind of habit of not reacting to the experience breaks that cycle. Uh, try and just see your thoughts as thoughts. Thoughts are not negative or positive. There's only the thought, but there's a reaction to it, a judgment of it, or a, an emotion associated with it. And that's separate. You should note that separately. Liking something, disliking something, feeling of depression, anxiety, etc. That noting will break the cycle because it's different from the habit of reacting. It's um, it's inert. It's benign. How should a lay person approach planning? Since it is experienced that most of the times the day does not go as planned, is it useful at all? It's, um, I mean, it's mildly useful, but it's a good observation. That's an important observation that comes up in meditation as well, realizing that thoughts about the past and future are not nearly as helpful or useful as we think they are. So, uh, yeah, I mean, plan to the extent that you know it's going to be helpful, but the clarity and the awareness that planning is not nearly as helpful as we might think. Uh, so in moderation, practically speaking, you do have to make plans in terms of saying, okay, so tomorrow I will do this, or an hour from now I will do that. But a big part of mindfulness is the flexibility to adapt to change. We, we often get frustrated or annoyed when things don't go our way or the way we expect, or when something changes, when someone's late, when uh, something falls through, or even when the weather, or here we had a power out here. We've had a power out here a couple of times, and people, uh, I was looking into what was happening, and someone was writing and was very angry and upset about uh, five or six hours without power. And uh, mindfulness really helps you deal with these sorts of change. I mean, if you think of the change that some people in the world go through, people in Ukraine, for example, having to deal with, calling it change is, of course, almost like a euphemism, but um, at deep down it is just change. And we notice that we're not able to deal with even very mild change in our 
routine that prevents us from enjoying the things we want to enjoy. It's a real wake-up call to us. What if something terrible were to happen to us? How would we deal with the change? So mindfulness helps with that. And you don't get so disrupted when your plans or, or expectations are not met. Does mindfulness help regulate and process emotions rather than repressing them? Yes, I mean, you can't really repress an emotion. Again, an emotion is something that arises, and by the time you do something that you might call repressing it, it's already happened, it's already over. So all you're doing is, again, cutting the chain, but you can cut the chain by a wholesome means or unwholesome, and the unwholesome means would be what we would call repressing. You're not actually repressing, though you call it that, it feels like that, it's just a reacting out of anger or frustration or guilt or whatever. Uh, mindfulness is a different way of breaking the chain, but it's a wholesome way of breaking the chain and, ch and changing our habits in a positive way, a way that is free from any kind of uh, unwholesomeness, any kind of judgment, reaction, clinging, etc. So when you just remind yourself, it is what it is, this is this, just say to yourself, pain, pain, angry, or whatever it is, uh, that is a way of breaking the chain without adding more problems of a different kind. I'm chanting Buddha at all times in meditation and daily activities. If I had an accident and died suddenly, my soul is inclined to go to Buddha's realm. Is this practice correct? No. No, I don't um I don't believe there is such a realm as the Buddha's realm. Um also the belief in a soul is just I mean it's kind of a nitpick, but you have to be careful because belief in a soul has no place in Buddhism. But I, I mean I don't think that's all that important in your in your question, like it's not an important criticism. But um Chanting Buddha has the effect of uh, associating your associating. It has, it has the effect of cultivating in your mind a connected feeling with the Buddha. I mean, the, the habit it's habit forming. So you you think about the Buddha more when you chant Buddha. So that's a good thing, right? And it's not about being reborn in the Buddha's realm. It's about having future connection with the Buddha. So I'll give you that, that you're much more likely to be reborn Buddhist, to be surrounded by Buddhists, to be in touch with future Buddhas, and so on. But uh, this talk about a Buddha realm uh, has no place in the original teachings of the Buddha. It was sort of a later uh, invention. So there's very little evidence, um, whatever evidence might look like, but there's very little authoritative confirmation that such a realm exists, except in people's minds. So imagining such a realm may be moderately wholesome. Um, but one thing that it often does 
as well is um, creates uh, negligence or a sense of complacency. And I would be critical of people who think that all they have to do is chant the Buddha's name and they're assured of future safety because it magically allows them to be reborn in some um, imaginary realm or some claimed realm uh, of the Buddha. Anything that, um, first of all, is uh, unverifiable, you can't verify the existence of this realm for yourself, and further is in the future. We were talking about this this morning, that this anticipation of some salvation in the future, all it does is condition your mind to be seeking out the future. Uh, true salvation comes in the present, and in order for that to come, you have to be uh, present. Your focus has to be on the here and now, and so if you're focus is on what will happen after you die, you're not present, and your habit of mind is not in the present moment. And as a result, you'll never see clearly the nature of reality. Further, uh, again, by focusing your, your efforts on something like chanting the Buddha's name with the express purpose of some future result, um, is negligent in that you're, you're not using that time to cultivate habits of seeing clearly the nature of reality. So I think what we see in these sorts of traditions is um, a complacency, and uh, there's even teachings by teach by by well-known or or respected teachers in those traditions that it's wrong to practice mindfulness because it goes against this faith that people have that they will be reborn in in the Buddha's realm. And that's an incredibly dangerous and, and uh, unwholesome teaching. That's wrong view very clearly for that for, for people who say that. Um, but in in the followers, I think it just often leads to complacency in a sense that oh well, why would I ever practice mindfulness? Why would I ever try to understand reality in the future? I'm going to be reborn in the Buddha's realm. It's very theistic. You know, it's very very reminiscent of of theistic religions the belief that uh, some sort of association with a certain um, tradition or belief is going to ensure you uh, paradise in the future. There's no difference between those teachings and this teaching that you're talking about. But this teaching, as in the teaching that I'm talking about with mindfulness, is very different. It's not relying on anyone. It's not... Um, based on blind faith in something that you can't understand for yourself. And it's not conceptual. So even a Buddha's realm is just a concept, whether it exists or not. The Buddha himself is just a concept. Reality is experiences, and the only way to become free from suffering and to attain enlightenment is to focus your attention on experiences which you can and, and must do here and now without reference to the future or past. Since noting fear and other unwholesome emotions have somewhat dissolved, and I'm mostly so happy, but I still feel some sadness when someone else is sad, is 
compassion taking the suffering of others. No, again, we talked about this this morning in our our study group as well. If anyone here is interested, you should join our study group. Uh, we talk about various things, and we study uh, the Buddhist teaching, and then we talk about different issues. Um, so first of all, being happy is something you should be mindful of as well, just to uh, remind you in case you're not being mindful of the happiness, and, and because it sounds like you're presenting it as a sign that you've succeeded, which which is possible, but that attitude can also be complacent and lead to forgetting to note the positive states as well. Um, but as far as your actual question, um, compassion is not sadness. In fact, sadness means sadness is a failure to be compassionate. Someone trying to be compassionate or intending to be compassionate, them feeling sad is a failure because it's unwholesome. It's not helpful. It's not beneficial. It doesn't encourage action. It doesn't uh, strengthen the mind to allow you to help others. You know, compassion is just the inclination for other people's freedom from suffering. When someone is suffering, the inclination to help them, whether you are able to or not, the, just that inclination is compassion. I mean, it's what we call compassion in Buddhism. It's not perhaps the dictionary definition in the West of compassion, but that's fine. Words are just words. We have to ask ourselves, what is wholesome? So what is wholesome in what we call karuna or compassion in Buddhism is this inclination to help others free themselves from suffering or the inclination that others should be free from suffering, which is which is also sort of um, equivalent to lack of cruelty, as in no sense of a desire for others to suffer, or, or the um, in, enjoyment of the suffering of others, the appreciation or the liking of the suffering of others. It's the opposite of that. It's not the disliking when people suffer, it's the um, well, lack of enjoyment, the lack of, not the lack, but the appreciation of the, of the state of suffering as being suffering. And again, the, the mindset of uh, understanding that their freedom from suffering is the right thing. It would be better if they were free from suffering. Because I'm phrasing it that way, I'm phrasing it carefully because the idea is that it puts you in a position where you simply help others, not because you're sad or because you desire for anything, but because you see it as the right thing to do. It's just what's right right is that they should be free from suffering so one thing compassion does is it cuts through this boundary of us and them right we're often much more uh, inclined towards our own welfare and we disregard other people's welfare when someone reaches out to us for help we discount them often just because we're too lazy or because we're too greedy and self-centered and, and too focused on our own welfare our own enjoyment of um, not being bothered or having the free time that is not um, impinged upon by other people's suffering. So compassion frees us from that. 
Compassion has this effect of making us, to some extent, selfless, where we don't see a difference between us and them. If someone is suffering, whether it be ourselves or others, we work towards whenever possible and as is appropriate. We work towards the freedom from suffering for self and others. I have too much anxiety, especially while public speaking or doing an important task in my life. Yesterday, this happened very strongly, and my heart rate went very high. It felt like I would die or want to die. Do you have any advice? Yeah, I've talked a lot about anxiety before. Anxiety, it's important to understand uh, that it's its only a, a small part, small but, well, it's the most important part, but it's still just a small part. And a part of the solution is a big part of the solution is seeing that it's just a small that anxiety is just a small part and what i mean by that is the the heart rate is not the anxiety um the feelings in the body of tension and stress the blood pressure the heat the headache whatever all of these things are not the anxiety because if you don't see that they trigger more anxiety and it's a loop the you get anxious about the fact that you're anxious but you're not anxious you're you're feeling this tension and you think you're anxious and so it makes you anxious and it, it, it cycles it builds it's a feedback loop basically but if you're able to separate them out you'll see that the anxiety is only momentary and the physical results for things like public speaking i used to have a huge problem with this and it was interesting to watch that when i was mindful it didn't get rid of the physical effects. So I would still have my heart pumping and my voice shaking and my body shaking and my stomach butterflies and tension and the shoulders and headaches. But I was I was actually calm. And so I could listen to my own voice kind of shaking a bit at first, but I was okay because I was also, at that time, I was focused on mindfulness. So if you don't do that, even those physical effects, especially during public speaking, boy, they scare you, and then you get more anxious, and then it's impossible. So uh, it's a key to dealing specifically with anxiety, I think. Now, of course, it, it's true with other things. It's true with, with all uh, kinds of reaction, like lust and desire. You have to separate the thing you desire and the feelings of pleasure. You have to say, separate them out, but you'll see it very clearly in... And anxiety, you'll see it in clearly in all in all of the hindrances, all of the defilements. But um, something that I notice quite often, I think, perhaps notice easiest to notice with anxiety, the difference because it can have such a physical effect. So I don't know if you read our booklet. You might consider reading the booklet, doing the at-home course, and it'll help you gain the, the tools that you need to learn to separate these out and be mindful of them. Do you have any advice for estrangement or strained relationships with family, etc.? No. No, I mean, I don't think they exist. I mean, oh, sorry, you have to... I think, and the advice I would give is that you have to be able to see that they don't actually exist, that relationships are just conceptual. And so they're only strained um, because of the realities of the 
reactions in the minds of the people involved in the relationships, right? The the first the anger, the um, sadness, the fear, the worry, all, all of these emotions, guilt, can you know, all sorts of different kinds of emotions, and those are what are the real problems. So if you have any of those, the on, the the only real part of the solution that you can be is is being mindful of those emotions. You can encourage others to be mindful of them as well, but realistically, the best thing you can do is free yourself of the strain, the emotions that are causing a strain. And when you free yourself of those, and part of it is is the need for the relationship and the feeling of sadness about the relationship, the desire for the relationship to get better, you have to let go of those as well, because they're part of the stress and the tension, and they're the create. They're part of creating this perception of things being strained. Relationships are not um, not as valuable as we think. Um, what's valuable is our association with good people. So it's not so much the relationship that we have, it's the, um, the, the help that we are to each other, the support that we provide to each other. And you might say they're one and the same, but they're they're not quite. Our relationship is conceptual. It's an idea that we have, and it's usually a, something that we like, something that we, we cling to. It's a kind of an addiction. You can free yourself from that and still have the benefits of supporting others and, and being supported by others and, and, and benefiting and, and profiting mutual um, goodness and wholesomeness in your association with others. But you free, without that clinging to the relationship, you free yourself from so much of the stress and expectation, the uh, the suffering that comes when when others are not according to your desire or don't act or be or uh, their state of being isn't according to your desire. Thank you, Bhante. We've crossed the hour. That was all the questions we were prepared to ask today. Okay, thank you. Thank you all for your questions and for coming out. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Have a good week. Sadhu.